0: Thursday, June nineteenth. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Morgan Housel. Thanks for being here, man. How you doing? I'm doing okay. I we had that horrific thunderstorm last oh, night. Oh my
1: gosh. And I slept right through it. We we did not. <laughs> my wife and I we woke up at about two thirty and we just went out in the living room and watched it. I think it was I think it was the heaviest rain, the strongest thunder, and the most lightning I've ever seen in my life.
0: Uh, our man Blake Boren over in our marketing department, he told me this morning that when he woke up, he said, I've never had, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, I've never had paparazzi, but I
1: imagine that's what it's
0: like. It's, it's just, just like all these flashes It was going 20
1: off. minutes of nonstop lightning. The yes. sky never went dark. It was incredible. I slept right through it.
0: <laughs> uh, we're going to dip into the full mailbag, but let's start with something that Maddie and I touched on yesterday, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it since you tend to look at the big macro more so than anyone here at The Fool, and that is the latest announcement from the Fed chief. And I guess we shouldn't be surprised that the tapering continues, should we?
1: No, I mean, that's the thing. It was a completely, the the announcement yesterday, the Fed's going to taper another $10 billion. It's what everyone expected. The Fed has actually done very good at uh, letting the market know what it's going to do in advance. And telegraphing months or even years in advance. This is what we're going to do, so that there are no surprises. That's what people don't want: are big surprises that they didn't see coming. So yesterday was no surprise whatsoever. I think if you're following the economy, it's maybe a little interesting. If you're an, if you're an investor, these kind of stories should not change how you think about uh, about anything, really. You know, I think the idea that the Fed has been propping up the market, as a lot of people have have claimed over the last couple of years. I, I don't think there's much evidence for that. I don't think I don't buy the argument that when the Fed pulls back from QE or maybe starts raising rates, interest rates, stocks are going to crash. A lot of people have made that argument. I don't really think there's much evidence to hold it up. So, it's an interesting news story. If you like following the economy, it's interesting. If you're an investor, though, I want not pay any attention to this news.
0: I was going to say, for the people who are in the business of making bearish predictions,
1: It's been a rough couple of years. It's really interesting. (laughs) I've I've written quite a bit. I think it's a fascinating story, the fact that so many people have been so incredibly wrong about almost every word that has ever left their lips (laughs) when they're making predictions about the stock market and the economy. What does it do to their reputation or their ability to go back on TV? Nothing. It does nothing whatsoever. And what it really comes down to in the punditry business is that people that listen to pundits that want that information, they don't actually want an accurate prediction. What they want is someone to confirm their own existing views. So if you are bearish on stocks, you want to turn on CNBC and listen to Mark Faber saying "30% crash is coming." <laughs> it doesn't matter that he's been saying that every month since 1970 or whatever, and, and he's been he's been so consistently wrong. You don't care that he's been wrong. You just want him to agree with you. So and, and you know, as a, a, a pundit, fear sells much better than optimism. So that's why you turn on CNBC, you just hear all these doom and gloom predictions. And the people keep even, doesn't matter if they're wrong, they keep coming back and back for more. Meanwhile, That'll never change.
0: Meanwhile, in, just in this calendar year alone, the Dow having a great year. The the stat I heard this morning was heading into today's Open, the S&P 500 had hit 20 new all-time highs just in, in, in the first half of 2014. By the way, that sounds like a, a pretty good Career move. If you're thinking about making a break from actually thinking and writing thoughtful commentary, if you just want to get yourself on TV, man, I think you just you just go bearish. You go full on bear. Well,
1: that, that's we'll what, get you that's on CNBC every do. week. That's what these guys do. I don't want to name <laughs> names, but people know it if they watch CNBC. People that have been on for years and are constantly uh, gloomy, and they've been gloomy for decades. And what it is is that when the economy is booming, no one really, no one really is bothered that they're wrong. And then when 2008 comes around and the economy does crash and stocks plummet, those people are held up as geniuses and as gods. It doesn't matter that they've been making the same prediction since 1975. No one cares about that. It's just in 2008, this guy got it right. Peter Schiff got it right, as the video (laughs) says. And no one cares that he's been making the same argument since the Carter administration.
0: Kroger, largest grocery chain in America, reported earnings this morning, did really well, helped by the Harris Teeter acquisition that they made back in January. Stock hitting an all-time high. This comes on the heels of FedEx's uh, latest report. I'm not suggesting that Kroger is a bellwether to the extent that FedEx is a bellwether, but I am curious. We've got the largest grocery chain in America. We've got something of a bellwether stock business in FedEx. What is your take on the general state of the U.S. economy right now?
1: Well, I think one thing that's interesting that we haven't seen in years, maybe almost more than a decade, is the prospect of pretty widespread, decent wage growth on the horizon. And what that is, is that so people will get raises when their employers have a hard time hiring the employees that they need, so they have to go out and raise wages and be able to entice more people to come work for them. And I think we're starting to get much, much closer to that point, if not already there, where there's going to be upward pressure on wages going forward. Short-term unemployment, which is the percentage of the labor force that has been out of work for 5 to 14 weeks, just the short-term unemployment, right now is at the lowest level it's been in almost 50 years. So that puts pressure on wages to go up, and that's great for the economy going forward. You always have to preface these things with the, the condition of, you know, it's impossible to forecast what the economy is going to do next. But you can look at opportunities and say, like, look, some things are, are in our favor to do quite a bit better going forward, and the most important thing, since we're all investors too, is that the correlation between the economy and the stock market is almost zero. So the last the last six years have been dismal for the economy, but the stock market's up 180. percent And you can you'd often look at periods where the economy is booming and stocks go nowhere. So that's not a market prediction, but I think there are, there are a lot of things stacked uh, in the economy's favor that things could things things could start picking up pretty well.
0: It's interesting when you talk about wage growth because I think that. It's easy for whether it's someone prognosticating on CNBC or Fox Business or Bloomberg or just the average investor, it's easy to look at any sort of broad increase in cost for a company and automatically conclude, oh, that's bad, that's going to be bad if, if this business that I've owned for years decides they're going to start paying all their employees a lot more money then their costs are automatically rising, that's, you know, should I...
1: That, that works if you look at it in a vacuum, but one person's spending is another person's income. So, when when prices might rise, well, that means that means someone else's income is going to rise on the other end. Whether that, that income goes to CEOs or shareholders or broad-based, you know, it's going to factory workers, that's another question. But, you know, it's, it's important to look at spending and, and income as one and the same. because They are the same. If When I go out and spend money at Starbucks, that is someone else's at Starbucks income. And if the prices at Starbucks go up, then someone else's income is going to go up. So says,
0: says the guy about to take a sip of his cup from Starbucks. Here it comes. What do you, <laughs> we don't need the sound effects. But <laughs> what is that, just straight coffee? or it's
1: straight coffee. I don't, I don't do anything fancy. Yeah, we were talking. You know, the straight coffee is $1.90. The fancy stuff is like 6 bucks. It's a really <laughs> insane that people... You know, people I love, think they can make rational decisions, but they can—they cannot.
0: I love <laughs> Starbucks as a consumer, and I—I love it as a long-term shareholder. But I have to say, pretty much every month, I will walk into a Starbucks and I will see something they are selling, and I will just shake my head, thinking, "What is this?" And today it was straws. They've—they've they've packaged these large green straws that. Apparently are not disposable. They're, I'm supposed to use them over and over, and they're selling these packages
1: for four bucks. And I just thought, I, I guess someone is buying these. I don't know. About three times a year, I, I I splurge and I go for whatever fancy drink they have, and I think, oh yeah, this will be great. And I get it, and I, you check out, and they say, okay. It'll be eight ninety five or whatever it is, and it's it's not it's not any better than the normal coffee I drink.
0: You can always email us radio at fool dot com is our email address. Got an email from one of our longtime listeners, also one of our members, Justin Brown in San Diego, California, and uh, he writes about the conversation that we had earlier in the week, Taylor Muckerman and Jason Moser and I were talking about Medtronic, and this word that we're starting to hear more and more in the financial media, inversion, which is U.S. companies acquiring companies in other countries in part, or maybe entirely, so that they can move their base of uh, corporate operations and Medtronic which pays US taxes will no longer be paying taxes in the US. So let me ju- and it was a lengthy email so I'm not going to read all of it but let me just uh, read part of what Justin wrote I totally agree that the U.S. tax code is insane and our corporate tax code is equally over the top. That said, I'm wondering, based off of Jason and Taylor's comments, what would be a fair rate to get these companies to bring their money home and invest in this country? I'm a shareholder of many companies like you guys. I want my company's CFOs to be good stewards of capital, so I get it. But just to be clear, we are all subsidizing uh, these corporations' daily activity. Our taxes pay for roads, bridges, airports, seaports that these companies use to ship their products. Um, and, And goes on to make the point, look, hey, look, as an individual, I'm paying federal taxes, state taxes, capital gains taxes. So is it so wrong to expect companies in the U.S. to pay their fair share of taxes. There
1: are a couple of things, I think, to think about. One is, you know, if if, if, a, C, if a CEO and a CFO has an opportunity to take advantage of a loophole in, in, in the tax code, you can make a moral argument that they shouldn't. But, you know, you could also make a moral argument that you, Chris Hill, should not deduct your 401k from your taxes because you have an obligation to, to fund your roads. And you would say, well, that's ridiculous. It's it, the losses. I can write off my 401k deductions and I'm going to do that. I think it's the same thing that CEOs and CF, uh, CFOs do. I think it's, it's a stretch morally. And of course, when we're talking about moral arguments, a lot of people disagree. But it's, it's hard to say, CEO, you have a moral obligation to ignore that loophole and, and pay more taxes than you can. I think that's kind of a stretch. But there are two important things to think about with corporate taxes. One is that with individual tax rates, If U.S. individual tax rates are higher than they are in Ireland, there is almost nothing you and I can do for that because me and you are not going to pack up our family and move to Ireland to save on taxes. We're just not going to do that because we have family in the area. We live in America. That's what we do. Corporations totally can do that. They can just pack up their headquarters, not their factories, not anything else, just their corporate headquarters, move to Ireland, and boom, you're an Ireland company now. You can take advantage of Ireland tax rates. Which are or, or you're, you're moving to the Isle of Man or Bermuda or whatever it is where they have lower tax rates. Corporations can and do do that, so corporation corporate tax rates are much more competitive on an international basis than individual tax rates. So I, I buy the argument that people that the tax code should, as hard as they can, try to be more competitive on an international basis. The other really important thing here that that comes up a lot with these stories is that the United States is the only industrialized country in the world that has uh, a tax system where if you are a U.S. company, you're domiciled in the U.S., but you have inter- foreign subsidiaries. So, so let's say uh, I, I'm a company based in the United States, and I have a subsidiary uh, in Belgium, and I earn profit in Belgium. I have to pay Belgium income taxes, and then if I want to bring that money back to the United States to pay dividends or share buybacks, whatever, I have to pay U.S. taxes on that money as well. And there's a credit that I would get for the Belgium taxes. But it's, it's a double taxation standard. No other country in the world does that. We're the only country that doesn't. And it sets up huge incentives for U.S. companies to try to push their business into other countries that have lower tax rates. And it's an insane rule that both political parties, I think, know is crazy. But we still can't really get anything done to do about it. And there's always talk about getting rid of it or to have a foreign tax holiday to let people, companies bring money home. And it's just a, it's a crazy rule that we have. I wish we would get rid of it, so that we would be, as every other country does, is called a territorial tax system. Where, if you're a U.S. company but you have a subsidiary in China, you pay China taxes and that's it. Then you can bring that money back to the United States to pay your shareholders dividends or to expand in the United States. It's just crazy how we do it right now, and I wish we would do it different. But I, I don't try to justify anything that happens in this town. It's all crazy, anyways. <laughs>
0: You just reminded me – I think it was John Chambers, uh, the longtime CEO of Cisco Systems, uh, gave an interview at some point in the last 12 months. And he was talking about this very issue and saying you know, he wanted to bring the cash back. And we've seen companies do this. I, I think most recently um, – uh, oh gosh, what was the uh, Jason Moser was just talking about this? The company that it, that was uh, it was some.
1: Uh, f- I, I know you're talking about, but I can't think of the name. Yeah, either, the but company. I totally know what you're talking it about. It was a Lululemon.
0: Lululemon was bringing uh, about five hundred million dollars uh, um, back into the U.S. They were going to pay taxes on that so that they could fund a share buyback. So look, Cisco Systems, they can bring the money back. Um, obviously, they'd rather do it at a lower rate. But the point he was making was. We would absolutely put this to work. And and it was was almost as though he was suggesting if Congress can get its act together and they want to change this or they want to put some sort of employment, U.S. employment stipulations on the cash that's being brought back in a holiday – Hey, we're happy to talk about that. Creates that creates
1: problems too. They did in 2004. They did uh, a a repatriation holiday where companies could bring it back, and I think they paid a rate of like five percent on it. It was, it was a you know a way lower rate, and that did have a stipulation that said if you bring money back, you have to use it for employment or expansion or something. The problem is that money is fungible, so if you bring money back, you can't you can't track it and say okay if you bring right. five hundred million back, you need to put it. Just gets all mixed in with all your other cash, and you can't really track it. So it, it's tough. But I think what is, what's also a problem is the fact that we keep having... In 2004, we had a holiday. There's talk about another holiday. As long as you keep doing holidays, companies are just going to keep their money parked in Luxembourg waiting for a <laughs> holiday for it to come. What you need to do is either tell companies, we're never going to get rid of this, or we're going to get rid of it. it. When you keep going back and forth playing games, it just creates a mess. And you get these crazy situations where you have companies like Apple that have $150 billion of cash. And when they want to buy back shares or pay a dividend, they borrow money because so much of their cash is parked in Europe or China or wherever else that their U.S. cash is not as much as they would need to pay their dividends. So they end up going into debt. And a lot of companies have done this and it's, it's crazy. Do you
0: think that – so Medtronic has done this. Medtronic, not exactly a household name. Do you envision a scenario whereby a company that is a household name inverts – Inverts, I guess. Yeah. Pulls off the inversion move. And it does shock Congress into action because there were some people suggesting that if Pfizer had pulled this off, it actually would have gotten Congress's attention in a way that... Medtronic again it's it's not a household
1: name well I think there are a lot of household names that haven't done inversions per se but have absolutely taken advantage of the loopholes that are that are available to them. Apple and Google are two well known companies that uh I'm not an expert on the exact uh, what they do but funneling profits through Ireland and through Luxembourg and, and whatnot uh in order to take advantage of lower tax rates um, uh so, so there, there are household names that that do this, but you know whether it's gonna, whether I, I think Congress is such a mess. Even things that they all agree on, they can't get anything done. So it's,
0: it does seem like one of those ideas that, on the surface, seems pretty black and white. It does. It, it and and I don't crazy. know the origin of this tax, but it does seem like one of those things. When you explain it the way you explained it, it just makes a lot of sense. I
1: think there are a lot of tax rules that were created. Uh, In an era when business was much less globalized and it made sense. But when you look at how the world operates now, where there are, in terms of businesses, there are no borders anymore and it's just one big giant market. But but we have a tax code that was made for an era of when it was much more localized. It's, I'll I'll keep saying it, it's just crazy, Chris.
0: I'm just shaking my head because. If it all comes down to the U.S. Congress getting attacked together, good luck. We're going to be waiting a long time. All right. Thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.